This is the Life Church Podcast. All right, we're going to jump right into it. We're in this series, uh, Eight Hills, Some Things Are Worth Dying For, where we've been talking about the values of Life Church. And today, some of you might say, Thank you, Jesus. Today is the very last one of the eight, ser- eight part series that we've done because we've been in it for the last eight weeks. And this is the value that we're going to look at today. It's everybody is valuable. That's the value. Everybody is valuable. Each person, this is our value, each person is in, a, in, is in some way a reflection of the heart of God, endowed with unique gifts and abilities and personality, without whom the rest of us would be sorely lacking. Now this value, even though it's the last value that we're going to discuss, it's not the least value. It's not like it, it's, it wasn't an order of importance. It's not like this is the least important value. In fact, this, is, this value is fundamental and foundational to why we even started Life Church. That part of, part of the existence of this church is this conviction, this belief that every person is valuable. Every single person is valuable. It's why we say around here, come just as you are, but don't stay that way. This value challenges the cultural notion of the insider-outsider paradigm that we often find in churches. That if you're, if you're a part of this church, if you're a Christian, then you're an insider and you have certain kind of ways of seeing things and ways of being and ways of behaving and you are clearly distinguished from the rest of the world that are, out, that are outsiders. There's truth to that. But this problem is that it suddenly sets into how we operate as a church. That we are the insiders and they are the outsiders and there's this antagonism that oftentimes exists. When, when we take on this idea. And so it needs to be challenged with this value that every person in God's sight, in God's eyes, is valuable. Now, I think that you will accept this to be true, right? How many of you here, if I said everybody's value, would say, no, I don't believe that. <laughs> we all believe that. But in practice, the problem is in practice, it's been resisted for ages, particularly in the church. This is so important for us because this insider-outsider idea has, is, is why some of you, when you were freshmen in, co- freshmen in college, you, you said, I'm, I'm, I quit church. I'm not going to church anymore. It's why some of you, your parents, at some point just said, I've had it. I'm out of here. And, and your family stopped going to church because you just had it. It's why some people... Some of you here, you, you want to experience God. You want to have a relationship with God. You want to grow in God, but you have doubts whether you'll ever find that in church. So we're going to talk about this. We're going to be looking in Acts chapter 15. We're going to be talking about having a lot of scripture we're going to be looking at. But in Acts 15, you find this controversy. It's kind of a controversy that happens in the church for the very first time. In fact, this is the, you could... Look at Acts 15, you'll see that it's the first church business meeting. How many of you have been to a church business meeting before? Raise your hand. Okay, so this is the very first church business meeting, okay? And there's this controversy that happens, and it's about 20 years or so after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and so this is, this is what the controversy was about. Who should be a part of the church? Who belongs in the church? How holy do you have to be to be a part of the church? How good do you have to be to be a part of the church? How much of your lifestyle do you have to clean up and change before you can be a part of the church? That's the controversy that occurs at the very beginning of this, of the, you'll see in Acts chapter 15. 
Now, this controversy is understandable because you have to understand that the first followers of Jesus were also Jewish. They were Jewish. They, they follow the religion of Moses. And so for them, when they accepted Christ in their life, for them, it was just an extension of Judaism. They accepted Jesus as the Messiah, the Messiah that they've been in their religion had been said for, long, for many years would come and be the savior of the world. And so for them, it was just sort of an extension of Judaism. So they made this assumption, this early church did, made this assumption that to be a Jesus follower, you first have to become a Moses follower. Like Moses in the Old Testament, splitting the Red Sea Moses, that Moses. So for you to be a Jesus follower, you have to be a Moses follower. That's really what they, they were assuming. But there's a problem that, that surfaced because Peter, uh, Paul and Barnabas, they've been out there preaching and doing mission work and following Jesus wherever they let God was leading them. And, and there's a whole bunch of non-Jewish people giving their life to Christ. And I mean, they're, they're just, they're coming to Jesus and they're, they're, they're following Jesus. And, and so somebody comes along and they're like, hey, wait, wait, wait too fast? <laughs> yeah, you, you, you might, yeah, I get it. You believe in Jesus, but you're going too fast. First, you've got to memorize a few things. You've got to jump through a few hoops. First, you have to become a Moses follower before you can become a Jesus follower. This is really what was happening. And so maybe, maybe you've experienced something like that. Maybe your first entry into the church was like, well, first you've got to do this and you've got to do that. You've got to do this before you can actually be accepted. Now, there's moral demands in Scripture, and I'm not, gonna, I'm not talking about that. I'm... I'm not here to say that everybody can just do whatever they want to do and they're part of the church. That's not what I'm talking about. But there's this tension that exists between truth and grace. And we're navigating that tension, right? And so let's look at this first church business meeting. It's going to kind of give us some insight on, on this tension that exists. And then also I think we're going to, there's this huge takeaway that we're going to have from reading this passage and basically, we're going to conclude with the passage that, that for God, for God, everybody is valuable. In fact, just look to the person to your left and look to the person to your right. They're just as valuable to God as you are. Okay? All right. Acts chapter 15, verse 1, it starts off. It says, certain individuals... These individuals, is talk, not talking about Peter and Barnabas, but certain individuals came down from Judea. Judea is kind of the epicenter of this, of, the, of this movement at this point. Certain individuals came down from Judea to Antioch. This is the, Antioch was a city where Peter and Barnabas had been preaching, and a lot of Gentiles were giving their life to Christ. And so it's, in fact, Antioch, you know, we use the word Christian very commonly today. Christian, Christian, I'm a Christian, you're a Christian. The first time that was ever used in history was right here in the city of Antioch. That's the first time it was ever used, Christian, okay? So certain individuals came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, these new Gentile believers, teaching them, and this is the message, unless you are circumcised, you can, and according to the customs of Moses, you cannot be saved. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom rules, you cannot be saved. This is the teaching of these people. This church has come to talk to these guys, these non-Jewish people in Antioch. And so like, whoa, 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 wait, what? Unless I have a surgery, I can't actually be a part of the church? Paul didn't say anything about that. 
And they're like, well, yeah, I know Paul didn't say anything about that, but we're telling you that before you can be a Jesus follower, you have to be a Moses follower. You can't be a Moses follower without being circumcised. So first, things first, you must be circumcised, which meant that their launch class, like we have launch class here, was made up of only women. <laughs> it's like the guys were out in the parking lot saying, oh, Lord, I love you, Jesus, but this is a commitment, <laughs> you know? It's really... <clears throat> and so what they were doing, they were, value was being ascribed to a person based on some external things. They were saying, you're only valuable if you do these things, right? Verse two, this brought Paul, you know, Paul has been going around saying, come just as you are, but don't stay that way. Come just as you are, but don't stay that way. It's simple, just come just as you are, but don't stay. Paul's been saying that to these, these guys. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. And what was the question? Who belongs in the church? What does it take to be a part of the church? That's the question. Verse 4. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders to whom they reported everything God had, been, had done through them. And so Paul gets there. He's like, hey, guys, we, there's a lot that we have to talk about. There's some, dis there's some disputes that we've got to discuss. But let me just tell you what's been going on. We've been preaching the gospel, and people have been receiving the gospel. These Gentile believers, they've been receiving the gospel. They've been embracing it. They're following Jesus. We started churches everywhere. And guys, I have not been telling them. I have not been telling them that they first must become Moses followers before they can become Jesus followers. I have not been saying that to them. And then... Here's a response, verse 5. Then some of the believers, this is kind of fascinating actually, some of the believers who belong to the party of the Pharisees. Now you remember the Pharisees, right? Those, those bad guys in the Gospels, you know, the ones that were responsible for crucifying Jesus. Like they were the, like they were like the, the Klingons of the Bible, you know, that's who the Pharisees were, right? These were the bad guys. And so Jesus is crucified, and when, he, when he's crucified, they're like, yeah, yeah, that's right, that's what should happen. He should die because he's a false Messiah. But then, but then Jesus comes back to life again, and suddenly these Pharisees, not all of them, but some of them, they're like, whoa, this is messing with all my categories. I just knew that this was a false prophet. I just knew he was a false Messiah, but now he's alive. Whew. Maybe I believe and so they started believing in Jesus as well. But they were still Pharisees. They were still, it says, they were a, a part of the party of Pharisees. It was kind of like a, it was like a, like a political party. So Jesus, so, so they, this is how they respond. Some of the believers who belong to the party of the Pharisees, it's kind of a little bit of a contradict, contradiction basically it sounds like, stood up and said, and here's our argument, the Gentiles must be circumcised and must, important emphasis on the must, must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. And when they say the law of Moses, they're talking about the Ten Commandments, but they're also talking about the 613 other laws that existed in the land. Laws that, 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 that dictated, you know, what they can eat, what they cannot eat, what, you know, who they can be with, who they cannot, what they can touch, what they cannot touch. It dictated every aspect of their life. And they're saying these people... 
To be followers of Jesus must follow the law of Moses. In essence, what they were saying was your value to God, your value to God, your value to the church is based on whether you can follow all the rules or not. Now we hear that and we're like, but that's absurd. Of course not. That doesn't make any sense. What are you talking about? And all of us here, we would agree, right? Of course not. But we need to be careful. Because if you've been in this thing for any length of time at all, like I've been in this for 36 years now, some of you have been here in it longer than I have been. But it's easy. It's easy to start thinking this is what it's supposed to look like. This is how it's supposed to be. And you need to experience it the way I experienced it 36 years ago. You need to experience that today. That's the way it's supposed to be. And to start putting some, some strictures around people and some rules around people and expectations around people so that for them to truly be incorporated into the church, they must kind of become like me before they can become a total follower of Jesus Christ. We ourselves can become pharisaical, so we need to be careful judging them for this too much. And it's really a challenge to all of us about how we oftentimes see other people. All right? Verse 7. After much discussion, there was just a long meeting. Peter, who kind of now is like the superintendent of the church right now, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. So Peter starts giving them a little bit of a history kind of recent history kind of lesson. So yeah, guys, remember that dream I had? I was like, I was, they were like making a meal and suddenly I was in this trance and before long there was this, this, this sheet and there was all these animals, these unclean animals and this, and, and they were telling, and I, I heard this voice said, you need to eat the McRib sandwich, Peter. Eat the McRib sandwich. And I just knew, <laughs> I just knew that that's wrong. That's so wrong. I can't eat the McRib sandwich. Now, okay, this is found in Acts chapter 10. It, there's no mention of McRib sandwiches just in case you're wondering, but, but go back to Acts chapter 10 and read it. And so Peter says, next thing I know, I'm at Cornelius' house. And here's this Roman centurion, and he's giving his life to Christ, and he's following just the way we did. Verse 8, here's a big phrase. God who knows the heart. God, do you believe that God knows the heart? I think sometimes we don't really believe that. I think sometimes we think God really doesn't know the heart. I know the heart. I know that person's heart. I got to fix that person because I know their heart, but God doesn't know their heart. I know it. I think we operate that way sometimes when it comes to other people. God who knows the heart showed that he accepted them, important word there, by giving the Holy Spirit to him just as he did to us. You see, I don't know your heart. I just know your behavior. I don't know your heart. I just know that you have a nasty habit. I don't know your heart. I just know you got a whole bunch of ink on your skin. I don't know your heart. I just know that you don't, you don't maintain your yard well, and that bothers me. Right? I don't know your heart, but God does know your heart. God knows every person's heart. In fact, it was part of what Tony was saying this morning. God knows us all. So God who knows the heart showed that he accepted them, these law-breaking people, by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. 
And they're like, oh yeah, I remember that, Peter. I remember that story you told. I remember what happened with Cornelius and his family. I get that. Verse nine, he, talking about God, did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. God did not discriminate between us and them. This is the issue oftentimes that we face in in organized churches, us and them. He didn't discriminate between us and them because he purified their hearts by faith. To which the Pharisees are like, yeah, well, he might have purified their hearts. Man, they've got some nasty habits. I, they, they gross me out. Verse 10. Now then, why do you tr- try to test God? This is Peter still speaking. Why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to, to, to bear? Peter's like, he's, he's like, hey, God, hey, Dave, 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 you back there, Dave. Yeah, I'm talking to you. Yeah, don't, yeah, don't ignore me. I'm talking to you. <laughs> Didn't I see you the other day? Aren't you a good Jewish boy? Yes, I Didn't I see you the other day in the temple? And didn't I see you making a sin offering? Dave, did you sin? Dave's like, well, you know, sometimes. Sometimes I slip up. Sometimes I mess up. And Peter's like, yes, of course. We all do. We all do. We all cannot keep the law perfectly. Come on, guys. Let's not be hypocritical here is what Peter's basically saying. Verse 11. No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are because God knows the heart. Here's what you need to know. God can purify your heart before you can, purif- you can like clean up your life. All right? There's some of you in here going, thank you, Jesus. And then there's some of you sitting in here squirming. You're like, okay, that, that doesn't work for me. That doesn't work for me. There's no way that, you know, they have to clean up their life. and It can't happen separately. This is what Peter's telling us, that God can purify your heart before you have the capacity to clean up your life. God can purify your heart before you drop that nasty habit. God can purify your heart before you fix your marriage. God can purify your heart before you try to clean your life up. In fact, if we flip that around and you try to clean your life up before God accepts you, that's all works. And the Bible tells us that's like filthy rags to God. It's your own righteousness. That's why we say around, come just as you are, but don't stay that way. Because we have this confidence, this deep-seated belief that even though I may not see it on the outside, I may not perceive everything that's going on in your life, we know that God is doing something on the inside. God is purifying the heart. And so we say with confidence, come just as you are. Just don't stay that way. Get on this journey and let God purify your heart and purify your life and change you from the inside out. So Peter has a whole lot more to say. We're going to skip over that because we're going to now look at what James has to say, the brother of Jesus. He stands up, and this is what he says in verse 19. It is my judgment. In other words, James is like the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. He's kind of like the leader of the church in Jerusalem. This is what he says. It's my judgment. In other words, this is the final word. This is the decision that we're making. It is my judgment, therefore, that we, and I love this phrase, it's, in fact, it's, it's how I, I believe we as a church should be doing ministry. That we should not make it difficult. We should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. 
We should not make it difficult for them. Nor is James, like, I know it's getting kind of messy. I know those Gentile believers are grossing you out with some of their practices of food that they eat and the way they dress. I get it. But we should not make it difficult for them who are turning to God. We as a church should not make it difficult. In fact, when I stand up here every Sunday morning, I do, and it's more pronounced in first service than in third service because there's a lot more empty seats. But I look at the empty seats. And my heart yearns for those empty seats because every one of those empty seats represents somebody who is not connected with Christ yet. It has a name on it of somebody who's right now, while you and I are here, we're being good church people. Right now, they are in this city and their lives are messy and messed up and they have weird beliefs and they have weird ideas about God and they have weird ideas about sexuality and they have weird ideas about themselves and that's who they are and yet those seats are reserved for them because everybody, everybody, everybody is valuable to God. Verse 20 says, instead we should write, this is James still speaking, instead we should write to them, these Gentile believers, you know, that are up in Antioch right now, they're like, Biting their nails, saying, oh, Lord, is it, is it going to be surgery or no surgery? Surgery or no surgery? We don't want surgery, you know. They're like hoping that the, the church decides for, uh, in their favor. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain, and then, there's, remember, there's 613 laws plus the Ten Commandments. Tell them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. And so there's like, this is a church business meeting, right? So there's a church secretary sitting there writing down notes. Okay, so one, two, three. And then the secretary looks up at James. Okay, what's the next one? And James is like, that's it. We're done. What? You took 613 laws and you reduced them down to three? Are you kidding me? And it's not really even three, it's two. It's like stop grossing out the Jews with some of your religious practices of the past and abstain from sexual immorality. That's it. Just do that, guys. You're, you're the church. Just do that. Verse 30. So they sent off, <clears throat> so they were sent off and went down to Antioch where they gathered the church together and delivered the letter. The people read it and were glad for its encouraging message. And what was the encouraging message? Everybody. Everybody is valuable. So, I think this interaction in the book of Acts actually teaches us a few things, challenges in three ways. I'm going to put them up here on the board. You can see we're going to kind of move through these kind of quickly. The first challenge is that we need to resist the gravitational pull toward insiders and away from outsiders. Like I said, that's, that's the tendency. That's natural. That's natural for every single one of us. You like to hang out with people who are like you. That's natural. Isn't it true? Every one of us, just by our makeup, we like to be with people who are like us. And we especially like, the people, like to be with people who like us, right? Who like who you are and like what you do and affirm you and make you feel good. We don't really like hanging out with people that disagree with us. It's natural. And so we need to be careful and we need to resist. It's a gravitational pull. It's something that happens naturally. We need to resist the gravitational pull towards insiders, and remember that this is really about reaching those who are outside of these four walls. That's, that's why we exist. Secondly, we need to resist a gravitational pull toward law 
and away from grace. Now, there's a tension there. The Bible tells us that Jesus was full of grace and full of truth. Full of grace and full of truth. In other words, he was 100% grace and he was 100% truth. The problem is with us is that we aren't, we're not Jesus. <laughs> it's hard for us to be 100% grace and 100% truth. We are like more like 60% truth and 40% grace. Depends on who we're talking, to, talking about, right? Like if it's that, that pesky sister-in-law or brother-in-law, you're like, it's like 10% grace and 90% truth. You know, you're going to just tell them off, you know? That, that's how we are. That's how we operate. But Jesus was full of grace and full of truth, so there's this tension that we navigate between grace and truth. And we need to resist this gravitational pull that goes towards law, towards truth, and away from grace. See, we, it's natural for us to do that. We, as, a, as people, we think in terms of categories. We think in terms of policies. Jesus wasn't that way. Jesus thought in terms of conversations. He had conversations with people, right? In fact, if you remember when Jesus was walking early on in his ministry, he's walking by this tax collector's booth. And you remember, I've talked about tax collectors before in the past. You know, they're the bad guys in the, in the, in the Gospels. He walks by this tax collector's booth, and there's this guy named Levi, Matthew, as we also know him by. This guy named Matthew sitting there, and Jesus says to Matthew, Hey, Matthew, while he's collecting taxes, by the way, he is at the tax collector's booth. Collecting taxes. He, was a, he betrayed his family. He betrayed his people. He was considered worse. I mean, it was like sinners and tax collectors. That's how the Bible categorized them. Sinners and This guy was bad. And while he's sitting at the tax collector's booth, Jesus says to him, hey, Matthew, come follow me. Now, the Pharisees around him are like, whoa, 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 Jesus. Category, tax collector. Policy, He's got to quit collecting taxes. He's got to give all the money back. He's got, to, he's got to go to the temple and do a lot of sacrifices to kind of repent for all of the stuff that he's done. He's got to stop hanging out with sinners because these guys hang out with sinners all the time. We've got to stop hanging out with sinners. And then, then, then he could follow you, Jesus. But that's not how Jesus does it. He says, come follow me. Come just as you are, but don't stay that way. You see, policies and categories, those are easy. You don't need to meet with anybody. You, know, you just send them a form. You know, That's it. Conversations, grace, that's messy. But it's wonderful. It's powerful. It's beautiful to see the, the connection with somebody who is messy, has this encounter with a living Christ, and their life begins to change little by little by little. And you're like, wow, look what God is doing in that person's life. You can't accomplish that with law accomplish that with grace and the third resistance is we need to resist the gravitational pull toward preserving rather than advancing we need to resist the gravitational pull of preserving rather than advancing if you've ever started a business your own business when you first started out your business remember you had nothing you had a dream you had goals you're gonna like do something amazing great you're gonna do this amazing business you know but you have nothing and since you have nothing, you do whatever it takes. You risk it all. Why? Because all means nothing. <laughs> you have nothing. You can risk it all. But once your business starts growing, once you have something of substance, suddenly you become a little bit concerned about risking it all. And you start kind of holding on to it. You start trying to preserve it. And churches are not any different. 13 years ago when we started this church, 
we had nothing. It was easy to get up and say, we're just going to go all out for God. We're going to sacrifice it all. We don't have much sacrifice, but we're going to sacrifice it all, right? But now we have a church, and we have a lot of people. We have a lot of different people. We have staff and salaries and so much, any, so many other things that we become risk adverse. And that's not where we need to be. We need to be open-handed. We need to be advancing God's kingdom. So with that, with that in mind, let's make three commitments. I'm, I know I'm kind of running over my time. First commitment is this. We need to be bold. We need to boldly go after those who are lost and disconnected. Those people who you would have normally said, that person is not valuable. That person has no place in God's kingdom. That person, the views that they have, the politics that they have, the lifestyle that they have, they don't belong in the kingdom of God. We're not even going to go after them. So let's be bold. Let's go after those people. Secondly, let's err on the side of grace. Aren't you glad that God erred on the side of grace when it came to your situation? We sometimes forget about it, don't we? I sometimes forget that one time I was this lost, selfish sinner doing my own thing, doing my drugs, illicit with sex, and I could just go on and on the list. And God accepted me right where I was. He erred on the side of grace for me. And it's easy to forget that over time. This was a community. Let's err on the side of grace. Let's love people. And last one, let's remain open-handed. Let's remain open-handed. Like I said, we become risk-adverse. Right now, we have, we're a church, but I don't know if you know, maybe not all of you know this, but we, we meet in this building. This is a rented facility. We don't own this building. We have a piece of property that we're still paying on, and there's a sizable debt on that property and also on this build-out build that we had in this building. And so common sense would say, hey, you know what? Use all of your resources, use everything you have to eliminate the debt, pay off the line, build your own building. That would be kind of common reasoning. But we're not about it. We're not about preserving, though. God's kingdom is not about preserving. And so we've made a commitment. And that's where Kingdom Builders comes in. We actually decided we're going to do Kingdom Builders. Why are we going to do Kingdom Builders? Because we are going to focus first on those outside of our four walls. And so I don't know if you know this, but this year, probably close to $300,000 will be taken from here that you have given and given to, to, to projects and things outside of Life Church. We can easily use that for us. We can easily say, no, no, it's about preserving. It's about building our own buildings. About all. We can easily do that. But we've decided that we want to live open-handed. We want to be a representation of the kingdom of God here on this earth. And if we do that, God understands it. God sees it. God knows it. So let's make these commitments. I'm going to ask you to stand. Now, I just spoke to you um, from the perspective of church. It's not always easy for us to think in terms of church and organization and that kind of stuff. In fact, it's not always prudent for you to think that way. You don't have to. It's my responsibility to think that way. It's my responsibility to make sure that we are in line with our vision, in line with our values, in line with the things that we're doing. So let me just bring this home to you. You walked in here this morning 
to attend a church service. You worshiped a little bit with music. You, uh, you've heard me talk a little bit about how everybody is valuable. But maybe as I started talking about that, you sitting in your seat started thinking, yeah, everybody is valuable, but not, not my cousin. <laughs> that person has just done some really, really bad stuff. I don't know if that person's redeemable. Everybody's valuable, not my deadbeat ex-husband. Man, he cheated on me. He did so much stuff against me. Everybody's valuable, but not X, Y, and Z. So I want to challenge you to get the mind of God on that. Number one. But then also, you might have walked in here this morning and you thought, yeah, I don't know about anybody else, but I'm not valuable. I've made so many mistakes. I've screwed up my life so many in so many different ways. I don't even know if God even hears me when I pray. I'm not even sure that I belong in this place. I'm here incognito. Nobody knows my past. Nobody knows my story. I'm just going to kind of hide out in this place and kind of fake my way through it. And as Pastor Tony mentioned earlier, God knows you. God knows you. God knows you. God knows you. So I want to challenge you here this morning. If you're here this morning and you walked in with a sense that I'm not really valuable to God, I'm not even sure if I belong in this church, I want to challenge you this morning to just simply say, God, here I am. If it's true what Pastor Rich is saying, that, that, that there is value in me, that really you want to take this life of mine and use it for your glory and your kingdom, then Jesus, here I am. I give my life over to you. I surrender it completely to you. Our prayer teams are here on the left and right. If you're here this morning and that's your prayer, that's your desire, that's your heart, I'm going to challenge you to come up and pray with them. Amen. I'm going to pray. Father, we thank you we thank you for your presence in this place. We thank you, Father, that you are challenging us and speaking to us even right now as we stand here in this room. That you're calling us, calling us to a higher, a higher commitment to you, Jesus. To follow you with our whole hearts, every bit of us, to come just as we are with a commitment that we're not going to stay this way. We're not going to stay in the bondage. We're not going to stay in the brokenness. We're not going to stay in the addiction. We're not going to stay in all of the stuff that we've been doing. God, we want to be different, but Lord, we come just as we are, knowing that you have the power, that you know our hearts, and you have the power to change our lives. So today we surrender. We surrender our hearts to you, Jesus, every one of us. In Jesus' name. This is the Life Church Podcast.